This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we talk about the latest Batman villain, Warner Brothers. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Carrington Hess and Dana Miller of the Molten Meeple, what it means to be a game master and milkshakes. And we check out the box office barometer from 1994. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast. We're taking over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul. Um, probably going to roll poorly. Stedman. And to my left is Joe. Uh, high Charisma Peters? I don't, I don't think. <laughs> high cr- crit hit. Crit hit. Crit hit crit Peters. Hit. Yeah. All right. um, so, uh, yeah. It just uh, you, guys will, you guys will hear this show normally when we would normally publish it. However, I just got to state that this is the third recording that we've done within eight days. It's a yeah. lot. Of, it's a lot of podcasting. We cram. We crammed a lot of podcasting into like a week's time. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, um, we're proud of it. Yeah, but we are proud of it. It's just that when it comes to news, it's just like, oh, we don't have a week to wait for news right. turnaround. The news, like, news turnaround is kind of hurting us. But, yeah, so oh, we're well. gonna start just like finding fake news and just public just no, talk about it. So it's too much fake news out there, dude. I heard that Deadpool's going to be in the new Spider-Man movie. Did you hear that? Yeah, because yeah. he was supposed to be in Logan yeah. too. Like, oh, oh no. So it makes sense. Um, we have an interview with. Uh, uh, Carrington Hess and Dana Miller of the Molten Meeple uh, coming up. Uh, we just, just spoke to them. Yeah. Fun interview. Which, if you listen to the podcast that we went there a few weeks ago and uh, told uh, all kinds of stories about how much fun we had. And, and while we were there, we met these guys and, and asked them if they'd like to be on the show. They said yes. So Yeah. So uh, that's coming up here in a second. Uh, but I just want to mention the manly weekend I had. A very manly weekend. Yeah. Um, so on Friday night. Uh, and this is going to enthuse all the, the wrestling people that I that would listen to the show. Not really going to get into it, but I did go to the absolutely intense wrestling show that they have here. It's about once a month at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. We've talked about it before. Uh, that's where we saw the guys bleeding and hitting each other. Um, on, a mar- on a mountain of Carmel. Yeah, on a mountain of Carmel. Um, that's how I like my Carmel. Uh, so I didn't tell Joe this yet because I just want to get his reaction. While I was there watching the show, mm-hmm. and this, this is Mary's first live show she went to, too. Yeah, so that, yeah, was, yeah. that was fun to take her to that. Um, there was a impromptu six-man tag match and one of the the impromptu so it wasn't on the card no it wasn't on the card so that as it was happening they then announced it like it was in progress right like that's the story dictated one of the wrestlers was space monkey which space monkey is his whole gimmick is that he's supposed to be a monkey that's part of the space program so he comes running out wearing like basically like a nasa outfit and he has a helmet that he wears sometimes but he's a monkey that's supposed to be the whole gimmick yeah you've told me about this guy so what happened during the middle of this match at one point he was getting beat up and everything and then one of his teammates threw him a banana and he started eating it in the ring and getting his power back no and it was great and then (laughs) as he finished the banana ended up in the middle of the ring and i kid you not they set up a banana slip gag in the middle the fight it was amazing that's awesome so i mean say what you want about wrestling but when you get to see 
six people. And also, Swaggle was in the ring. Yeah. And he is um a, he is a little person, like formerly Hornswoggle with the WWE. Uh, Britt Baker was there as well, because that's supposed to be the rematch. The rematch. Between the two of them. Because that, that, ma- that match that we saw back in December wasn't very good. No, but so but at one point, there was definitely a man that's supposed to be a monkey shot in the space, fighting a man that's uh, a little person in the middle of the ring. And it's as well as moments where it's like, hey, Joe, I had a weird dream last night. I was watching wrestling, and this happened. That's what that felt like. Uh, but it was so much fun seeing a banana gag in the middle of all of this. Like that's like really that's what happened. Well, and it just, I had to cheer. Some, it. You you want some of those things to pay off because you see them setting it up and you and then like in your head before it plays out, you're playing it out and you're like that would be so cool. Yes. So so that's what happened. I was I was cracking because up. it's campy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, again, I wholeheartedly recommend going to an AIW show, uh, even if you're on the fence about wrestling. It's just a good time and it's yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, anyway, enough about that. My other manly thing I did uh, last night, I went to go see John Wick 2. And if that doesn't make me a man for the weekend I had, I don't like that. <laughs> this movie is awesome. Uh, not to get into spoilers or anything, because like if you've not seen it, go see it. Oh, so good. If you've not seen the first John Wick, action. watch it. Yeah. But I, not just nonstop action. There's weight to it. There's things that. It's, there's, it, yeah. There's a rich, rich. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's assassins culture i don't know yeah there's a world building in this one that's hinted at in the first one and it's not i mean even even now they showed things but they didn't explain things right right which i'm fine with yeah you kind of you kind of get like this 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 um this sense that there is like this deeper underground world of like uh uh unspoken word unspoken law and in honor and honor weird, yeah. amongst amongst all these assassins and hitman and it's just like if you've seen the first john wick and like you thought the continental was cool you'll love the second one yeah because that character i well, i guess it's a character it's it's a hotel but like that that gets compounded upon more and it's like a, it's like a sanctuary slash resource it reminded me it reminded yeah. me of highlander a little bit yeah like absolutely. no 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 fighting on holy ground it's yeah. like yeah like it was and and I, you know, I was before we were starting, like, you know, they talked about how it made the most out of Keanu Reeves in terms of an actor. And I know a lot of people are kind of like ah, Keanu Reeves. But like when you make him play like a hitman who like is all action and in very little words, it it, it, may, it works so well. Absolutely. So, like, yeah, it just it, it's just it's a serious take on an action film, even though there's bits of comedy here and there, which I mean, I have no problem with that because that does help like let up some of the tension. Yeah. There is just some some sequences in this movie that are just they're beautiful. Like I mean, the violence is crazy, but there's sequences purposely set in like an art museum mm-hmm. and all these exhibits that are like a house of mirrors and just some of the color palette and just some of the things going on. Like there's a whole bit where he gets jumped by uh, someone near a subway station that there's uh, colors in the background while he's fighting a lady who was using a violin. It's just even though you're seeing action cinema. There's a lot more going on, and it's just visually interesting. Just I, I loved it. And Keanu Reeves, being in his fifties, did a large majority of the stunts in this movie, which is amazing. I'm sure a lot of people might have seen. We posted the video of him doing some of his tactical training. Like they, they had him trained up to do tactical draws, uh, all the weapon work. Um, It's it's pretty amazing. Like there's one part in the movie where he does a hip draw. While he's fighting two guys at close quarter, and it just blew my mind because and it, there's two, yeah, well, and there's two literally just just the way that he can fire off like the shots that he does. I found a um a stat 
and I think it was like the kill count was like 120 something, 128, 125. That seems, that seems low. It does seem low, <laughs> but the shots fired was like three something, like 380 or in the hmm. 370s, and the accuracy was 80. <laughs> percent Wow. Yeah. So like. Um, this isn't taking anything away from the movie. No. What it does feel like at times, though, is that you ever see those videos online of someone doing a speed run of a game where they hit yes. everything? And it's like, I'll never be that guy. And why are you showing me this? Er. And it's like, this guy's like speed running Halo the entire time. And it's like, I didn't miss a shot. It's like, that's not real. Right. You know? And it's like, or if you ever watch like competitive shooting, speed shooting, yeah. like where they have the guns lined up on the tables and they run down the line pop every target as mm. quick as they can, grab the next gun, pop. That's what this is, except for it's all throughout the whole action movie. Yeah. and it, But it just, again, it's it's a good action film. Yeah. Um, there's times where I was fidgeting in my seat because of the violence. I, I mean that in the best way possible, where a movie that I know everybody's going to die in it, I'm still being like, not that way. You know, and it's yeah. so... It's, and it's, it's not like a uh, saw thing where you kind of like... It's not like where it's like... Tor- he, d- he doesn't do anything complicated. It's torture just that, gore. It's just like you're like, whoa. Is this, is this the most effective way to get something done? And yeah. that's how he is every single time. It's almost like like the Bourne series kind of set the bar for efficiency in terms of what Jason Bourne would do. Yeah. And then this was like, yeah, but what if it was the real world? That's what it right. felt like to me. Well, this doesn't um, feel real world. Well, I mean, but, like the efficiency yeah. of like you got someone this highly trained mm-hmm. that's already thinking two steps ahead. And even those times where he's factoring in his reloading with taking out people that's that's interesting to me that he oh, knows his entire the way, shotgun. the way he reloaded that shotgun was ridiculous and that was keanu reeves loading that gun yeah way, as quick and as f- efficient as he was so um if you like if you like reload porn then go check out john <laughs> wick too porn. i felt uh, bad for the one guy when he was out and he reloads real quick and that guy's just laying there like he knows he's, he's gonna, gonna get it yeah you're like oh man he's reloading right in front of you like, um yeah good good movie and i and this is one of the, the few times of high praise uh i liked it better than the original the original is a great flick yeah i feel like this one even though they're setting up a third i feel like this is an earned third movie it isn't just like oh well we got to have a third one i i feel like the story organically goes to it where does. it's going um so i hope that they do get the third one i don't need seven john wick films if they I give will be- me a solid trilogy that's amazing they do need to make a solid trilogy and i will be blown i don't want to say i'll be blown, blown away, away. <laughs> i'll be confused if he if he lives through the third movie yeah like, <laughs> i'll be confused if he lives through the third movie because this dude just like yeah like you see so many like i remember 80s action movies where like arnold would just walk around and he looks like he's untouched like keanu reeves looked like he was struggling through this whole movie right with as much damage as he took but yeah good movie yeah. go check it out awesome right. movie on to news everyone again i don't know why i always do this it's not good news um the batman uh we batman versus warner brothers or for that matter it feels yeah it's warner brothers gets to do what they want and the batman's being drug along like and it's like one way or another the batman as a film is going to get made it has a timetable uh affleck stepped away from directing it they were they're talking to matt reeves who has done all the the apes movies recently he did uh let me in and cloverfield right um he's not walked away he's from out it. yeah i mean it just it's staggering and then there's rumors you know the rumors are floating around that ben affleck wants out of the role of batman and i think i think it's not so much the the character himself because i mean god who wouldn't want to be batman um george clooney no, he did. He did want to be Batman. He just didn't want to remember it. But yeah. uh, that reminds me. Did you see the the Twitter exchange between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Nickelback? 
No. So he he was I think he was bashing on the president and um he made a reference about how his approval rating or something like that was terrible and, and then he used Nickelback as a reference and then Nickelback tweeted back at him and they're like, Yeah, well what about Batman and Robin? <laughs> and 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 Schwarzenegger tweeted back at him and he was just like he's like, Man, that's ice cold. <laughs> <laughs> like he threw he threw a Mr. Oh. Freeze line at Nickelback and Nickel was, Nickelback was like well played sir respected it was really oh. funny yeah you gotta give you gotta give Schwarzenegger credit for owning that because yeah. as bad as Batman Robin is you could tell he had fun the entire right. time and as bad as the puns are I'm still okay with him. I don't like yeah. I don't like his Mr. Freeze, but I like him playing. Exactly. That. Yeah. I feel like if you came up to George Clooney and somebody was like, Oh, you and Batman and Robin. But if somebody came up to Schwarzenegger and be like, Oh man, you and Mr. Freeze was terrible, but I love you. you yeah. Know? Like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I'll have to see if I can find it. But uh no, uh, yeah, like what what's the deal with DC and, and everything? Like Come on, like the flash, like the flash sounds like it's held together by like like twine and and, and masking tape. And now it sounds like Batman's turning into that. Like well, it, it sounds to me like Aquaman's the most stable one. Again, right. He's Which coming we to said, save us. We said like a yeah. week ago it was just like Aquaman's gonna save us all. It could just be Jason uh Momoa uh hyping it and trying to keep it together, you know. Here's the problem with announcing release dates of films in advance and also announcing films in advance until they're ready. Yeah. You know, which I get that you wanna set your brand and I know Marvel threw the gauntlet down, so to speak, with all the things leading up to Infinity War. And even they changed it a little bit well, because they took the Inhumans out of yeah. the movie slate and actually made it into a series. So they also know that they can change things around and they changed some of the release dates a little bit too. I feel like they kind of earned that though because they once they once they hit the Avengers on the head and just made all that money and just had everybody fall in love with that movie, the, I'm talking about the first Avengers, then they were just kind of like, well, let's let's get the masses in a tizzy and start telling them when things are going to happen so they can get really anticipated for it and it's going to build up a hype. Like, DC hasn't really earned that, I think. No, they like, haven't. And they need to before they can start saying, well, get ready because Shazam's coming in 2020. And then, in, <laughs> and then in, Whether you want it or not. Yeah, and then in 2021, some Green Lantern action. And everybody's just like thinking, I hated that movie. The movie no one asked for. What? We're giving you another right. one. Right. And then they're just like, all they have to go off of is how much Deadpool makes fun of it, you know? It's yeah. Like, well, then there was even that side story that we weren't really going to get into, but there's rumors that Mel Gibson might direct Suicide Squad 2. Which I would be fine with i'm fine with that i just i he's don't understand why no he's a solid director yeah um i just almost feel like that's warner brothers kind of saying hey we have credibility there's oscar winners that want to come direct our films like i think they're trying to at least like show that there's like talent surrounding their projects to keep people like you know that's not like, gonna that's i don't i don't but that's not how that works I, I agree. I, they, I don't understand. I don't understand why they don't understand that. They they could be like, so we got Scar Scorsese working on on Shazam, and everybody yeah. would be like, so yeah, well, is it anything like Batman versus Superman? Because like Scorsese couldn't fix that. I just like I almost like nothing against Zack Snyder or Christopher Nolan. Like I no. feel like like but and no Z but but Zack Snyder's been like making these like the last couple of, like bigger ones. Yeah, and Nolan's been like executive producer or something, and I don't think that's the right call. And directing the universe, I think Nolan made some interesting Batman films. I don't think he he really gives a shit about the rest of the universe. Well, and honestly, you know what it is is they don't have a Kevin uh, Feige or Feige. Yeah, they don't have a guy like him because that guy is like front running a ton of stuff for Marvel, 
and he gets it, and he's putting things together that he thinks needs to happen put together. Well, you don't hear anything like that from Warner Brothers. Like, Warner Brothers is, is just grabbing things in the dark. They, they should get what's-his-face, the guy that does all like all the superhero stuff for CW, that Berlanti, the guy we talked about previously. Oh, yeah. It's like, he seems to have his finger on the pulse of what works for right. that. Right. It's like, get him in movie side. The, I don't, the, the, yeah, they, and, and it's, I feel like it's just a bunch of suits in a room, and they're just kind of making decisions about stuff, and then it's like, it turns people off like Affleck, and Affleck's just like, I'm not going to deal with this. Well, then, you have, then you have like Fox that are like, they're like, you know what, we're going to put our foot in the water of making interesting movies, but still bring you tepid stuff. We can't commit. Like yeah. Logan's getting good write ups, but then they're gonna oh, be Logan's like, blowing up. Yeah. I'm really excited about but Logan. But they're like, but we're gonna bring you an X Men movie because Apocalypse was kinda okay. Like yeah. I don't yeah, whatever. So they shouldn't they should have known that they were they were screwed as soon as the, the Ivan Ooze memes popped up when uh, <laughs> they were like, Oh, so the X Men are fighting the villain from Power Ranger movie? Yeah. yeah. So wow, I mean not to get off on a tangent, they showed the Power Rangers trailer in front of John Wick two. Yeah. I it's kinda great. I kind of hate to admit I want to go see it. I keep telling people, and people give me this look. I'm like, this looks like, and I, you know, I hate to compare it to what the franchise is now, but the first Transformers movie, they took a a children's toy, a cartoon, and they made it into like a like the first Transformers movie Michael Bay did was was pretty gripping and good. Yeah, and I feel like that's what's going to happen with this Power Rangers movie. I feel like everybody's going to be like, ah, oh, you know, it's it's the flavor of the week monster with a bunch of kids doing kung fu and people in costumes who aren't the kids. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like. This this looks like they they're kind of taking a little bit more serious angle. Like yeah. they're going almost more superhero esque than it is like a children's TV yeah. show. So in the course of one reporting of one story here, us us talking about it, we pivoted from worried about the production of the Batman to saying Power Rangers looks pretty good, and that's how news happens. No, no, no I'm just saying yeah. <laughs> that that tells you how dire the Batman situation is when we're like, you know what, Power Rangers is being handled pretty well. Batman, we have no idea what's going on, you know. So, right. and that's not a world. That's not a world we should live in, you yeah. know. Like, so I mean, whatever. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, another story here. Joe was not excited about this, but I am. J.J. Uh, Abrams surprise announces Castle Rock. It's a new Stephen King series for Hulu. He was previously executive producer for Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, the adaptation, which with James Franco. Um, yeah, which I'm halfway through it. I, as you guys know on the show, I'm always watching stuff, not finishing it. Um, it's really good. It's really, really, really good. There's changes in the series that aren't in the book, and I'm not saying those are bad things. I feel like they got the right people. They get the they get the essence of King, but not they don't have to follow everything. With this uh, trailer announcement of Castle Rock, which we know it's anthology, at least they think it is. They're showing all these different uh, things from Stephen King books, like names that like you have Pennywise. You got the Shawshank Prison. You got all these things that are connected in King's world. But they've been separate in like films and everything, and it all centers around the town of Castle Rock. Hmm. And it makes me wonder if they're going to either tell the stories or they're just saying, "Hey, Castle Rock's a weird place where this has all happened and things are connected, and we're going to tell a new story." So they're going to like, uh, like kind of mention not mention in passing, but the town is going to be like, "Remember when that pet cemetery stuff happened over here?" Or remember, you know? When- yeah, because I mean, Castle Rock as a town is in a, a lot of Stephen King stories. Like uh and they, they showed Salem's Lot and passing Salem's Lot is a town adjacent kinda, to not to Castle compare Rock. it to it, but like kinda like a Gotham type thing where it centers around the city, but the this the other stuff that happened like somehow focuses in on it so you know what it's about, but it's not Well no kinda like okay, so for example, I, I wanna say I don't know, that doesn't um, explain it very like, well. Like um do you remember the movie Stand By Me? Like, uh, vague, but, vaguely, but you remember it. Uh, it. That was set in Castle Rock. 
Okay. Um, and then um, one of the characters from uh, Stand By Me, the, the character that, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, 24. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. He played like one of the older punk guys that were trying, like they were, like he was the antagonist in that movie. His name's Ace Merrill, which, why do I remember that name but not Kiefer Sutherland? Anyway, Ace <laughs> Merrill shows up in the the book Needful Things, which is like a big Castle Rock story. Okay. There was a movie that, that, that in that movie you had, um, um, what's his name? I, this is going to fail me now too. Uh, Merciless Ming. Uh, Ming the Merciless. Um, he was, uh, shoot. Uh, older guy that's in everything now. Um, wow, yep. Samuel Jackson? No, um, he's older. No, older, older, older. Uh, you, are you caught up on Game of Thrones? No, no. I haven't watched Game it. of Thrones in forever. Wow, I'm spinning out right older, now. Older, older guy, Ming the Merciless. Where I can't remember who played of, Ming. Okay, I know if you showed me, I'd be like, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, the, we're gonna stop right now. I want to just like, the, oh the, man, I don't care. We're gonna Google this right now. That you guys hear me typing. That is played by, um, in the movie, it was played by Max to... von Sydow. Oh, yeah, Max von, von Sydow. Sydow. Yeah. That's what I meant to do. See if you would have said Star Wars, I might have gotten it. What was he in Star Wars? He was in the beginning of uh, seven. episode seven. That's right. Okay, anyway. Who was he? All? Oh, God. Who else did he play? Oh, he was the priest in Exorcist, wasn't he? Yes. The old priest? <laughs> why did I go to Flash Gordon? Here we go. I don't know why you went. I didn't even know he played Ming the Merciless. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm That's sorry, funny. guys. I apologize. I'm usually not. So I, I forgot the actors' names, but I remember the characters' names. Anyway, um, he was a Needful Things. There's a whole connected world around this one town. And so it makes me wonder if it's going to be the stories that were set in that town or if it's going to be something new. This has been kind of hinted that this is Hulu's answer to Stranger Things. If that's the case, I'm down for that. Even if it's a new story, that's cool. God, if it's give me an anthology of these stories that I know and love, that's cool too. Nah, I, don't, I don't know. I just I don't like the the answer to Stranger Things thing. Like just let let that be its thing. Like like yeah, great. Netflix had a hit with that. Do we got to recreate it somewhere else? Like I'm not saying no, that that's what the, Hulu's trying to do, but I don't want to see other people trying to do that then. But then at the same time though, it's like we Every we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, where every show, every network has to have a superhero show. Yeah, and there's some good ones. Yeah. So unless Fox brings the X Files back again, yeah, which they need to because I don't think it was wrapped up very well. It wasn't. Uh, either way, I'm excited. Uh, we'll put the trailer up on our Facebook page so you guys can see it. Uh, and one last story, and this will tie into our interview that that uh, we had with the Multi Meeple. Uh, Monopoly well, to have. that is coming up here in a second. Um, <laughs> that, that, that didn't already happen. Um, Monopoly is ditching the thimble. They took a vote for the most recent like editions to come out. What? The, the, the thimble got voted out. Oh. Wait, let me see these pieces here. Yeah. So we got a. Uh, so you still have the where car. Where did the cat come from? I don't know. Where the cat I don't came remember from, the cat. But I remember the, do- the little Yorkie. I remember the hat, the wheelbarrow, the shoe, the old timey hobo shoe. Why um, do you need the, an old timey hobo shoe? I don't know, but you also have a battleship. I remember the battleship as battleship well. Battleship made the, no the, sense. The car, the hat, the dog. The wheelbarrow makes sense. The rest of them don't. I give him the thimble doesn't. Because a car, like, you know, if you think, like, when I think of Monopoly and, a, and like, like the character you're kind of portraying is, like, a real estate mogul, you'd have a fancy car or you have a little, little stupid dog in your purse that you carry around or you'd have a cat okay. or a wheelbarrow full of money or the hat, like, um... The guy wears the mon- I don't what's the what's the mascot? Uh, money bags, money bags, something, something like, like that. that yeah. So Max like von Sydow, Max von Sydow, <laughs> like the hat Max von Sydow wears in Monopoly. The thimble, like the thimble, should not be in there. The battleship definitely shouldn't. 
Um, and the shoe. What? I, yeah, the shoe, this looks more like a sign of poverty. It does. Um, so where was it? They actually had a campaign. Are they where, replacing it? Yeah, they are. Okay. Um, so that's part of the story, too. They said they had uh, they had 50 additional game pieces people could vote on, including, um, there's a couple listed here in the story, a rubber duck, a bunny slipper, and an emoji. Oh, they better not even do an emoji. That doesn't make any sense for that game. <laughs> so um, the, the winner will be announced uh, like next month, but I just thought... And in lieu of us having, we're having this big Bunny conversation. Bunny slippers don't make sense either. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, that should be a monocle. <laughs> a monocle? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what you think should be in the game, but you just think monocle. Yeah, be I good. think, because yeah. you think like banker. You think like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I would think maybe like a, a maybe briefcase. Maybe a shoe. A briefcase for your lawyer to get you out of jail. A briefcase, or maybe a shoe with some spats <laughs> instead of a hobo shoe. <laughs> You know, but you get the hobo shoe, and then you end up being poor, and then... Then you should that. switch out your game piece yeah. for your top hat, because yeah. you're not a hobo anymore. So, yeah, that's that's the controversy, is the thimble has been voted out, but you didn't seem to care about the thimble to begin with, so... Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, that I thought that would be a fun little thing Just to mention. pay attention to where the needle is. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> so... What if, what, if, what if they replace it with a more modern-day thimble, which is that chain glove they wear at Chipotle to cut the chicken <laughs> off? <laughs> Yes, and then I they like put it. Chipotle. They put Chipotle on every corner instead of yeah. uh, instead of railroads. It's Chipotle or it's Starbucks. It's Starbucks. Yeah, that, that, that used to be the modern that's updated. Update. Boom, there you go. Like it's no, it's actually with Chipotle at all four railroads, and then yep. every other space is Starbucks. You're welcome, Monopoly. Every space is Starbucks. Every Just, space is Starbucks. Yeah. Starbucks on Park Avenue. Yep, there you go. So or the Park whole, Place. So all four people are playing. If it's four people, none of them can actually have a Monopoly, but they all own Starbucks, yeah. and they all charge each other for Starbucks. I like it. All right. Anyway, enough about that. Um, all right, so we do have our interview. We 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 have teased this. This was with uh, the gentlemen. They are game masters at the Malted Meeple. Uh, that is uh, Carrington Hess and Dana Miller. They took the time to talk to us. Um, fun conversation that we had about board games yeah. and and what they do there. A lot of stuff. And if you guys want to check out the Malted Meeple after you listen to this, please please do. Uh, it is on five one zero zero Darrow Road in Hudson, Ohio. Uh, it is a very nice. Uh, establishment i like i like the atmosphere a lot mm-hmm. um i can't remember if we talked about it when we were there or after we left but i was like i feel like it's tavern-esque on purpose like D tavern-esque like, well it's an eight-sided building that i yeah. guess used to be i want to say it was a barn at one point and then it got converted into this it's a unique shape for a building but that, like it, it, i think it fits its character for yeah. being a place of gaming like i think i feel like up here in cleveland going to even going into the going into the, the the board game places that we have up here, the atmosphere was way cooler down there. Yeah, and it's definitely worth the trip, um, if not for the atmosphere for the milkshakes. Uh, and I thought they had a really good game library. Yeah, because I've, I've been I've been other places where I'm just kind of like, do you guys have? Uh, I can't think of what game. <laughs> you know what I can never find, and I, and I I mentioned it a little bit in the interview was is Hero Quest, and I know that one's really hard to track down. But you own it, though. I do not own it. One of my friends. Oh, okay. It. But is that uh, why you're friends with them? So they just bring over the game. Is that like when you're yeah, like a little kid where you're like, "Oh, you got Ninja Turtles video game? We're friends now. You want to come over to my place and play it?" <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, buddy. Yeah, well, I heard you got the Hero Quest. Yeah, like, well, you want to hang out sometime? No, uh, I got candy bars. Well, no that that game that game's hard to get. Like, if you look it up on eBay, it's a couple hundred bucks. Oh, because wow. it got discontinued pretty quickly because it was a joint venture between Milton Bradley and Games Workshop, and and they obviously cannot come to agreement for the rights for it to be reproduced. So you find one, you keep it. Oh, I and a lot of that. them are all open. Some of them are missing pieces, but he's got a he's got a good set. 
but yeah, if 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 you can find Hero Quest at a tabletop place, uh, definitely check it out. That's a that's a fun dungeon crawl game. All right. So yeah, uh, here's our interview with the Multimeeple. Again, uh, you can check them out multimeeple.com, and we will be back. And now for our feature presentation. All right, well, we have a special guest with us on the show this week. We have uh, Carrington Hess and Dana Miller. They're games masters at The Malted Meeple. So thank you guys for being on Invasion of the Podcast. You're welcome. You're our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so um, just we uh, we had frequented, frequented. We had been to the establishment a couple weeks ago, enjoyed it a great deal, and we just want to talk more. And kind of like we have questions about like how a board game cafe slash bar slash milkshake place slash awesome place comes to be and just uh just what you guys do there so uh, i guess first question is how does one become a game master um i, I really want to say something about uh rigorous training and long hours and there has to be something about like training in the himalaya mountains but uh really it's it just comes down to passion um you you take your time, uh, you, you learn a system like Dungeons and Dragons, and you find a system that you really love, and you share that system with your players. Uh, so that's, that's, that's really a big part of how that, that works. Or, you know, with board games is the same, the, the same way. It's that sharing of, of passion. One of the things that we always tell our employees is that I can teach you how to make a milkshake, I can teach you how to pour a beer, but I can't teach you passion. You either have it or you don't. And we've got a really good uh, team at the Multimeeple, uh, and they are very passionate about you know sharing uh, the art of, of of board gaming and of role playing. So, hope that answered your question. A bit yeah. long winded, but uh, you know. no, no, that 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 sounded good. I mean, <clears throat> I uh, I was expecting some quest. We had to go slay a dragon. I don't know. <laughs> I just, uh, it's like come back once you once you finish this, and then you can become a game master. So, is there any yeah. any uh, training that you do you do for some of the employees? Like, if they're not familiar with a lot of the board games, or um, has anybody ever come in that that hasn't touched any type of uh, Dungeons and Dragons or a tabletop role playing game? Well, you know, it's one of those things when you go through the hiring process. Of course, we ask questions like, "How familiar are you with RPGs? How familiar are you with board games?" Um, and <clears throat> You, most of the time, I, I don't know if this would ever happen otherwise, but you need to have some type of interest in it. Because if you don't have any interest in it, then why would you want to work there anyways? Um, but usually what we can do is we can sort of uh, listen to your passions and connect to the passions you currently have. Um, you know, Say you love board games, but you're not familiar with RPGs. Well, working there is a great opportunity to be exposed to it. And then, you know... Uh, the other way around, you know, if you if you love Dungeons Dragons, you love Pathfinder, you love all that kind of stuff, but you're not really a board gamer. Well, we're a board game cafe, so while you're there, you're going to be exposed to it. You're going to you're going to find what people love about it. Um, also, whenever uh, our staff are hired, we have a list of games, and we say we would like for you to become familiar with these games uh, because you're going to end up teaching people how to play them. Um, and it, it's fun, you know. Our, our most recent hire, her name is Ariel. Um, and I remember the first week that she was working, first couple weeks, we had a list, and I would be like, okay, this is this game, here's how to play it. Here's this game, this is how to play it. Here's this game, this is how to play it. Um, that's It's not always a convenient situation because you're learning potentially complicated board games in very small amounts of time, um, but the longer you work at the Meeple, the more you're interacting with people, you tend to um, you know, pick up the stuff. 
And then just by working at the Meeple, you find yourself playing these games and, and encountering these types of fun stuff outside of work. That's, I, was, I was going to ask that. I mean, you guys have a number of games available, and um, it's it's a little daunting when you walk in and see all the things you can choose from. So, like, uh, it, after a while, you said there's a certain list of games that they need to learn. Like, are you guys familiar with everything that you have, or is it just kind of like a lot of ideas and mechanics can apply to a lot of the games that's kind of you have already have like a vocabulary in place that you're like, you know what, I've not played this, but I, I kind of know where it's going. I'm going to say yes. We know every game in our life. <laughs> uh, that, Sweet. That, that, is, <laughs> that is a lie. Um, I would say between Dane and myself and the staff, we know most of them. Um, now there are some games where if someone picks up uh, a game that, that has not been seen much, much uh, you know, light of day, I might say, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with this game. But let me recommend this game that I am familiar with. It's similar. Maybe we can start mm -hmm. there. Uh, for our for our staff, the the game masters in training, let's call them, um, they're familiar with about 20, 20 mm -hmm. to thirty games, mm -hmm. and those games we can recommend to people who oh you like this game, it's going to take care of most of those of those people. And then Dana and I are there to to kind of help out when someone asks for a game that maybe is a little bit more um, obscure. So, but. We, we do teach quite a few games, and, uh, and that's one of the things I think that makes us unique is mm -hmm. there are some there are many uh, establishments out there that, that are in the board game industry, and uh, we're helping people you know enter the enter the industry and giving them their first kind of taste at board mm -hmm. gaming. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I saw on your guys' calendar on uh, your the website for the location. It's multimeeple.com. Uh, it seems like half of the events there are educational and, and um, grounding. And then like the other half is just playing the games, obviously, but it feels like there is a strong uh, inclination towards making sure everybody, it's like, you know, come and learn how to do Dungeons and Dragons, learn how to do, I saw a couple different other RPGs listed for instructional. Um, that's, that's, that is unique. And I, I, it seems like that is a goal. It seems like Wednesdays is nothing but Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And if, is that something where uh, you said you can't teach passion is it? Do you have specific people that teach the games, or is it more just like the staff there are also taught how to teach people how to play the games? The staff are taught how to teach people the games. So, um, like I said, one of the things you, you were mentioning about you know uh, folks who are getting uh, new into the uh, the board gaming um, and role playing, we we teach those those intro to things because we, first and foremost we are family friendly. And that means younger kids, which means newer gamers. So, as I, as I said, those intro things are helping you know bring those people into the fold, as it were, and helping them you know expand their horizons as far as board gaming. You know, outside of the standard Clue, Parcheesi, Monopoly, you know, into the world of you know hobby board, board gaming. We have Parcheesi. No, oh, no, <laughs> okay. but that, that, that's what that's what a lot of people think of when they think of like classic games. Oh, okay, right, Parcheesi. <laughs> yeah. it's like we have an intro to sorry class coming up if you guys want to be part of it no. um, yeah yeah you know that, that i guess that also tailors into that too like uh, it seems like in the past like i'd almost say 10 years uh tabletop gaming has had like a resurgence in terms of like not just um you know like like uh, cafes and and other places to go to too but just in general like uh board games used to be like the thing you did as a kid and then you stop playing. Yeah. And now this is becoming not only a, a bigger thing, but the complexity and diversity is so much there that it, it is. Um, it's interesting that it's coming like almost becoming a passion 
whenever mm-hmm. we're in an age of so much digital that this is this is coming back mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we're seeing a resurgence, um, you know, in the industry uh, for this, you know, this retro tech. You know, I mean, you've, you've, there's been a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to get the old NES and the old, you know, Nintendo 64, and I want to get, you know, the 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 old stuff like, like they want. That's there's that harkening back to the childhood of things that you enjoyed. I wonder if those are still cool. You pull them out, and hey, guess what? Donkey Kong is still cool. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that that's part of it, but I think that you know, board gaming design and uh, marketing and just the industry has had time to learn and grow in the last 10 to 15 years, and I think it's really coming to its own. Um, there's a big company out there called Asmodee that now owns the three big, uh, I would call them gateway games. They own Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, and Ticket to Ride, which are probably the three games that people are going to know right off the bat are, are associated with hobby games. So, I mean, seeing the industry you know, grow and flourish, is, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just, um, I just, it's interesting to me because it's like, I, um, I, I never played Dungeons and Dragons growing up. I uh, played some video games and played, you know, the Monopolies and all that other world, which I don't know why Monopoly, Monopoly is an okay game. I don't know why people buy 7,000 versions of it all the time. It seems like every, every six months it's, uh, Simpsonsopoly, Futuramaopoly, whatever Opoly. Um, but I um, I had met some people that had played uh, some some of these other other games and it's just like there is a whole world there that did not occur to me uh, in terms of like experience and like um, like a game like Space Truckers or um, which I think you guys I thought I saw I think you guys had that at your your place uh, where yeah um, what I, I forget other games off the top of my head but it's like you it's not it's more than just rolling a dice and moving a, a piece around the board like it requires a different skill set and and cooperation and, and thinking and creativity and that that stuff I, I just enjoy and I think it's amazing mm-hmm. well it is amazing you're right yeah I think the, the ability for someone to uh, you know to, to be able to do more than just roll the die move their pawn or or, or, or draw a card and move their pawn and whatnot. That freedom of creation and expression, I think, is what is what brings hobby games, um, you know, to the forefront. You can you have these avenues of things that you can do. Um, whether like whether it be like I'm going to build a city, but I'm going to build it my way, or or whatever it is that you're doing. The fact that you can make meaningful choices, I think, is what mm. really makes the hob takes the hobby games from just your classic board games and you know kicks it up to eleven. Um, so yeah, like Paul, I'm, uh, <clears throat> currently trying to get Paul into Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, I've played Dungeons and Dragons since probably sixth grade and, uh, been through so many different types of scenarios. And I'm currently working at the group that I'm working with now is they're almost all people who have never played before. And I was like, if it's good enough for the stranger, stranger things, kids, it's good enough for me. That's really, absolutely. yeah, mm-hmm. but it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Cause like one of the, one of the guys that I'm getting to play, he's, he's a huge fan of hero quest. Like we, we, we were playing hero quest like quite a bit, like the past year. And like, I explained to him, I was like, I was like, you really got to play D and D with me. I'm like, you'll love it. Uh, because this really kicks it up to another personal level with like what you can do with with characters and creation, and I had him over at my house like a week ago, 
and we were playing and like I gave him the player's handbook and he was kind of going through it and he's just you could see him starting to put things together but then like he's like oh, I'm not sure what I should pick and I'm like don't worry about that I'm like think of a concept before you start thinking about you know numbers and things like that so it was it was a little foreign to him you know but he still kind of got it and I think like for the most part he's pretty excited yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. I was going to ask you guys, being experts, uh, Joe's tricking me into this D&D thing, and um, I've, I've, I've made a character sheet. I have not actually played anything yet. Is there like any advice for me being a new player going into Joe's? He probably I'm probably going to die immediately or something. I don't know what's going to happen with his game he's setting up. It's just a, it's a whole room full of rakes I step on repeatedly, <laughs> like, like yeah. Sideshow Bob. Uh, any, any advice for a new D&D player? Yeah, so the whole reason you're playing D&D is to have fun. Uh, and that is the biggest rule of uh, over all rules, over all purposes, over all goals, is just to have fun. Uh, and fun looks like different things to different people. Uh, a lot of times people get intimidated. They're looking at their character sheet, and they're looking at all these numbers, and they've got abilities and skills. Uh, and, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, am I going to die? Am I going to ruin everything for the team? You're not going to ruin everything for the team. Uh, could, could you die? Absolutely. But that's okay because then you make another character and you continue having fun. You know, board games are great; they're awesome. But one of the components of board games usually is that there's a uh, there's a winner and a loser. Um, there's almost always that. Whether it's a, com- a cooperative game, whether it's a competitive game, you know, it's a competitive game. One person wins, one person loses. If it's a cooperative game, your team wins or they lose. In D and D, you are always winning as long as you're having fun. Yeah. But if you aren't, then then you shouldn't be playing the game, um, or maybe that's just not for you. But so I would just relax, um, take in the scenery, uh, goof around. Uh, don't take it too seriously, but don't take it too light. Oh, I, I never uh, will take anything too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know it was kind of interesting when I first started learning uh, how to play D and D. When I first started playing, a buddy of mine, Ben, was like, Dana, you're gonna let's go to this place called Game Trader and play Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, but I don't know how to play. Um, it's not gonna be fun. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, you don't have to. And it's true, you don't have to know what you're doing. Because really you're just uh, Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs are just simulation of an alternate reality, and you use dice to sort of control fate. Uh, and it's just a fun role play type of experience where you get to interact with the people you probably like, you get to maybe <laughs> snack and drink and and you know imagine a world that doesn't truly exist around you yeah i always thought one of the the best jokes that when i was younger that people who didn't play D D, like like my parents or, or or somebody who just always knew that we would game uh who didn't play they'd always be like so did you win and i'd be like yeah <laughs> i mean there, there's yep. and i'd try and have to explain i'd be like there's there's not really a winner like like you would think like in Connect Four when it's like ah I got four I won it was just well I, I like that the game you choose versus Dungeons and Dragons is Connect Four well I like that. I, I went from like complex to simple I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know but but everybody always asks you, so did you win like no Dad I didn't really win but yeah I did win I don't it's, it's like not it's like over yeah. it's exactly like tic tac toe so yeah <laughs> so um I I noticed also that you guys have. Uh, the Professor Meeple's Game Lab, which is, this is really interesting to me. Uh, it looks like you are encouraging people to bring in works in progress to play test. Absolutely. Uh, so how does that, how does that work? I mean, I know that you guys were requesting an email about what the game is, but how do you guys set up a play test in terms of like getting good feedback uh, for someone so, so that they can apply it? So what we will do 
uh, is um, anyone who's interested in doing the, the Professor Meeple's Game Lab, I'll just give them the email. You can send a, an email to info at multimeeple.com. Uh, and then either Dan and myself uh, will, will will snag it, and we will respond to you. And what we'll do is we'll try and figure out what your game is, get some more data on it, so we can write up a nice, put a little a blurb on our on our events page, and then we'll pick a, a date and a time for the event. We'll put it up on our social media, and people and any of our guests can come in and try out a game that they wouldn't be able to try out anywhere else because. You know, you can go out and you can get a copy of, you know, Settlers of Catan or Max versus Minions or, or or whatever the game happens to be that you want to play. But these games are games that are in, in development, and there's nowhere else in the world that you could find this game. You might be able to get something that's similar, but you're not going to find that unique experience. And this gives, you know, our, our, our guests an opportunity to play something unique, and it gives the developers that valuable one-on-one -on -one feedback. So. And how rare is the opportunity to connect with a creator of a thing in which you love? Um, you know, you, you, you play a video game or you, you know, you watch a movie or you watch a TV show, um, you know, or you go, you go to a sports event. You, you don't typically get the opportunity like, oh, man, I just watched John Wick today. I'm probably never going to meet Keanu Reeves or anyone that had anything to do with that movie. But at the Meeple, you know, if people are designing games, you can sit down at a table with that creator uh, and love the game. And then in a year's time, when all of a sudden you see that game being produced and created, you can be like, man, I met that person who designed that game. I am honestly, I honestly contributed to the creation of this thing that I love. That, one of the, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, one of the games that we had in the library early on was called Star Traders. That game went to Kickstarter uh, and funded and is actually, should be coming out fairly shortly. They, as a thank you, put Professor Meeple on some of their currency for that game. So that was a nice, very nice callback of them. So uh, shout out to Star Traders for that. Very, thank you very much for that. That's pretty cool. That was gonna be my question was, had you guys seen any success stories? It sounds like that's on its way. That's awesome. Like I would lose my mind over that. Like, oh, we helped. Like, and and there's yeah. our thing. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, so and also I see you have um there there's two types of like uh league, or like you have your game game was a board game league and then your legacy league. Um, I was going to ask more about the legacy uh, items. That seems like that's a newer concept for board games, which this is a a prolonged experience over a number of different um like it could be weeks or however long it takes to play the game. Um. Could you explain that a little bit more? Because this is this is interesting to me. This is different than like D and D, which that is ongoing forever. But this is a board game that has a longer tail on it. Well, I'm going to answer that question in two parts. The first part is going to be what is a legacy game. Uh, the second part is going to be what is our legacy league. Uh, so a legacy game is uh, a game where, as you are playing it, you are actually adding things or removing things from the game, such as in Risk Legacy or Pandemic Legacy. As you're playing, you might actually like nuke Australia, and all of a sudden, uh, Australia is no longer a place that you can start, and so you actually take the Australia card and you rip it up and throw it away. Um, so as you're playing, you're actually writing on the board with Sharpie, so as, as you're playing the game, it evolves and it changes, and it becomes personal, it becomes your game. I could name Europe Carringtopia, and that is now my continent. Um, so that's what a legacy game is. You're personalizing it. It's changing throughout the game. And as you make changes to the game and you play it, those, those changes become permanent. Uh, right now, there are three big games out there. There's Risk Legacy, um, 
Pandemic Legacy and Seafall Legacy. <clears throat> Those three games are, are, the, are the legacy things that we use for our Legacy League. Now, our Legacy League works like this. We sell you the game um, at pretty close to cost. Uh, so we're not making a whole lot of money on the game. But there's one caveat. The game stays at the Malted Meeple for your convenience. And that way you and your group can come in and play the game. You say, hey, we'd like our legacy game. We pull it off the shelf and you can play it until its completion. When you finish the game, you say, hey, we finished it. You guys take it home, cut it into four pieces, whatever it is that you want to do, burn it, whatever you want to do. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's how our legacy league works. And so far with you guys running this, have you seen like wildly different outcomes with some of these games or is this one of those ones that's kind of uh, a work in progress? Absolutely. We've seen you just kind of, you know, looking over the shoulder of people asking him, you know, hey, what's going on here? What's going on there? Um, without getting into any spoilers, vastly different outcomes. There's one game that comes with a packet that says do not open. Um, just pro tip, don't open it. <laughs> <laughs> That that sounds a lot like um, I played a, a I don't want to compare it to that but like a, a, a version like that of, of Warhammer. Oh, I think oh. it was Connect Four again. No, 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 no. no. Like um, <laughs> Legacy Connect Legacy Four. Connect Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, one of my one of my friends I played uh, I played a game of Warhammer with ten different people and we literally took the game map of the world, set up cities and then rolled it out almost like Risk and then when we either attacked a city or ran into a, another army we we played it out on the board and it was like literally an like i think it took us like a year and a half to finish it wow and it was like meeting every i think every other sunday and we would literally just move stuff across this map and then uh, play warhammer miniature games and um that's what i wanted to ask you guys too like have you like have you ever done anything with like a miniature tabletop like uh theme or setting like with those type of games. So one of the things we did with Professor Meeple's Game Lab, um, we've had a couple of play tests for um, a mega game. Um, Nightfall, is that the name of it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is a, it's not a miniatures game, but it's a social mega game. So you'll, so the designer of this game has created almost like a, a, a UN parliament kind of um, simulation. So you have all these different, factions who are trying to vie for control and whatnot and uh it's got some military stuff going on where they're trying to take over different places and and things like that um there were probably 30 guests when we did that event mm -hmm. it was a very neat event mm -hmm. so. okay. um, as far as miniatures though we haven't done anything like with warhammer uh, um but uh, there's there's definitely room for for something like that i know there's a lot of licensing stuff with games workshop and um I know before I seen uh, before I saw a lot of different uh, like tabletop cafes and things like that. Um, you know, I'd always go to my local game store and they would have like the larger tables with everyone playing. Um, you know, different types of like uh, miniature games on it. And uh, I I didn't know if that was something that was in the you know in the same wheelhouse. Was that something that you guys were looking to do or would do? Um, we would love to do that. Uh, the big thing is we do have some folks who come in and play the big Star Wars um, game right now is Armada, okay. um, which is very cool. I mean, you've, you're flying around in Star Destroyers and Mon Calamari Cruisers and blowing uh, blowing each other up. It's it's phenomenal. Um, and, and the the miniatures are very finely painted and detailed. Um, but 
Sorry, I'm just you know talking about how much I love that game. But we have a, a few gamers that come and play that game. It's not as prolific, I think, as we would like. But I would love to do more with miniature gaming. The big thing is um, we have uh, three very large, well, four, five large tables. Um, and as you all know, with Warhammer, uh, two gamers could take up two of those tables very quickly. Yeah, I actually I built a game table specifically to try to play Warhammer at my house because I have a couple of armies, and it it does take up quite a bit of space. Like it's it's not a, you can't have like a small like regular dining room table used. You can for, say like this, like a five guy rogue mission go off yeah. for Warhammer. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, um, this is kind of a, a broad question, and and forgive me if it sounds a bit a silly question, but. I think there's something to, to discern from this. What are um, some good tenets of a good game? As a, we talked about fun being paramount, but is there um, anything else that you'd say this game is good because X Y Z versus this one, which you know it had it was there but not quite all the way there. So the designer of Dominion had some thoughts on game design, and, and I tend to agree with them. Some of these, some not all of these are his thoughts, but uh, some of them are, are mine as well. For, he's, he talks about, um, first of all, the game needs to be fun. That's the whole reason why we're, why we're playing a game in the first place is, to, is for our enjoyment. If a game is you know, just constantly frustrating or stressful, there's no reason to play that game. Um, because you know, And some people enjoy a stressful game, but not always. Uh, the next thing is that a game needs to have a game clock. So as I, as I mentioned, with, with, so with Monopoly, Monopoly does not have a game clock. So games can go on um, forever. Uh, you know, as, <laughs> until my so, little brother quits because he's mad at it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so having you know, if the game ends after fifteen turns or or, or what have you, uh, the next thing is risk is an offender for this game for this for this tenant uh, player elimination. So if you're playing a game of risk and you're the first one to get eliminated. You're going to be sitting there for hours doing nothing. Um, so while player elimination is okay in some games, it needs to be a shorter game. Because if someone is eliminated early in the game, then they're going to be sitting there, again, not having fun. And then I guess this is one of my, uh, one of my additions as to what, I, what makes a good game good, is that it allows the players to make meaningful choices. Um, it's okay to go, you know, I'm going to go this, I'm going to go right or left in Candyland. Um, you know, but you're not actually, that's not a meaningful choice. You're still going to end up at, you know, the gumdrop palace or wherever. A meaningful choice means that it's going to affect the outcome of what you do or allow you to score more victory points or even just do something cool. So, Dan, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, so one of my favorite games of all time um, is a real complicated game called Uno. <laughs> uh, I love Uno. Um, and the reason I love Uno is because people are always upset about something. And I just love that so much. You know, you're like, you, you, you yell Uno, and you're just about to win. And then the person right before you plays the draw four. And you are just about to win, and your, your likelihood of winning has been destroyed by this person playing draw four. So... To me, a game component that I love is just like... Take uh, that. Like, yeah, take that or like vibrant action.
elections where someone was about to win and then they don't, or uh, someone wasn't about to win and all of a sudden they jumped ahead. Just these like memorable events. That would be one thing. Uh, the second thing is a form of like of justice or balance. There's nothing that annoys me more than when I'm sitting down to play a game and I think to myself, this mechanic is creating, is making the game unfair. This person has an advantage for really no good reason, or this person has a disadvantage for no good reason. It's one thing, you know, when there's strategy, you know, and there's tactics and there's all kinds of stuff, and you're like, okay, I get it. I, I build myself up. I work myself in such a situation that I have advantage over everyone else. But if it's the, if it's a simple game mechanic and, and you know, it's, it's overlooked or, or um, under-considered, well, that makes it fun for people who are, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're getting the short end of the stick, if you will. So to me, the two major things are memorable events um, and, and, and balance, uh, balance in a game. One of the things that I do really love about for games as far as like mechanics, um, I love social games where you can, um, uh, the, owner of, the owner of the business calls this above the table. They're not actually rules that are put in place, um, but they're just, you know, you can talk like, hey, Dana, if you help me conquer, you know, Australia, then I will help you out later in the game. Um, one of the things that I love in, in one of the versions of Risk, it's Risk Godstorm, it, it actually says that uh, lying, uh, lying, making deals and refusing to do that, calling in the, uh, you know, the divine uh, retribution of your ancient ancestors, all these things are valid and encouraged. Mm. Um, so, you know, that I think makes the game a lot of fun is the ability to, you know, to, to make, to wheel and deal as it were. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I always make sure that I, that I take care of my friends. And I always make sure that I fulfill all the deals that I, all the bargains, all the always, yeah. all the mm -hmm. lies, for sure. all the, I was, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to go into it. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. For weeks. Anyway, no, so. that, um, yeah, like uh, you mentioned social gaming. I think that's more where I enjoy now. I like the collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. Like, um, what, Joe, what was the one that we played while we were there? The, the uh, Forbidden Island, which yeah. I just got turned on to last year, which was a great cooperative game, uh, which was fun because I don't think there were a lot of games that I had played before that were the objective was to work together as a team versus there always being one winner. And that I think is like one of the funner games I've played in a while. Yeah, and it's like the, the constant uh, presence of disaster. Yeah. That, they, like that is that is a stress in the game I like, not, you know. But you that, versus that, the board versus versus yeah. you versus people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I noticed on. That's, that's interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, that's one of the things that's interesting is the, the industry tends to be moving in that direction where there's a lot more cooperative games that are coming out. Um, whether it's like the one versus many where there's one person who's kind of a game master um, or, you know, everyone is working together. One of the games that came out last year at Gen Con was Mansions of Madness, which is a Cthulhu uh, game. It actually has an app that runs the, uh, the game master side of things. And then the players are investigators trying to solve whatever nefarious things, you know, fighting cultist monsters, losing their sanity and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So that sounds cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that's one of the things that I. If a D and D game goes, uh, if the party works together, I think that's one of the most rewarding things is the cooperative mm -hmm. yeah. effect. Because I've I've had plenty of games where some PCs just decide to do what they want, and it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> vibe well with the rest of the group. And you're just like, okay, you go off and do this. We'll go do this. So, but you know, when you get everybody clicking on the same page, it's it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more fun. Yeah, so. I think also if you're sitting around a table. 
with people that you like. I mean, there's some people that are there are people that are good winners. There's people that are bad winners. Like, yeah. and it's like, and I and I made the joke about my brother quitting Monopoly about an hour in because he was known for that. And then Risk is one of those things that people like would get mad at. Or Axis and Allies, which whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I that that looks like an amazing game. I never want to play it because it just looks so <laughs> boring to me. You know, um, boring and stressful. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I was going to say, I noticed on your, you guys have an event coming up this weekend for the stick and hoop convention. What, what exactly does that all entail? Um, so one of the things that uh, is kind of our personal cause, is, I'm sorry, hoop and uh, we do once, once a year, we do a convention at Ravenwood Castle for children's charities. Um, so we donate to Extra Life. Uh, we last year we raised over $8,000 through uh, donations from our guests and donations for through our silent auction. Uh, this year, we're hoping to to beat that, of course. And uh, it's it's a really uh, if you do. Uh, are you familiar with the Extra Life charity? Yes, uh, we actually we were it, trying to kick around, try to do it ourselves, but just, yeah. Well, we had gotten introduced from it. We interviewed a, a cosplayer last year around Comic Con, and he was he was working with them a, on a lot of different things. And then we kind of um, picked up on it, but um, we haven't really found anything to, to kind of build off of. Yeah, we haven't thought of an event that revolves around podcasting that we could raise <laughs> yeah. money. You know, it's like, do you want to hear, hear me talk about Batman Superman for four hours? Want to give me money to shut me up? That's how you do it. <laughs> you, know, you, know. you just get a dunking tank. That's what you should do. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'd, prob- I'd probably raise a lot of money. But yeah. it's like, hey, throw stuff near me. Yeah, but yeah, we, we are familiar with Extra Life. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so the the castle will have an event for that, which is our sister business, Ravenwood Castle, um, and then we will have uh, we'll be doing our for our hashtag for the kids shake uh, that entire weekend, and we'll be doing a drawing for a giveaway uh, for a two night stay at Ravenwood Castle. Oh, nice. yeah, and this is going on from the twenty third to the twenty sixth. If mm-hmm. anybody yep. wants to check it out, absolutely, please do. All right, so uh, just uh, I did want to ask uh, briefly about like who is responsible for all the milkshake creations because you guys have what over thirty different milkshake combinations available at any given point in time. I'm gonna let Dana feel this one. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, there's a lot of milkshakes on the menu, and Carrington has been working at the Meeple since it opened. I have been working at the Meeple since May. Um, one of the tasks as a manager and as a game master that I've sort of taken on since I started working was milkshake creation. Uh, one of my favorite components of the milkshake creation is, although I'm responsible for it, I'm definitely not the one who makes all of them. Um, I might be the one who facilitates the making of them, or um, but all that stuff, but the team works together very well and makes milkshakes. Um, next month, the milkshakes that we're going to have are uh, X-Men. Uh, because of Logan coming out on March 3rd. Oh, nice. Uh, what three milkshakes are, I'm not entirely sure yet, uh, but I have some ideas, and they're they're very fun. Uh, I personally have made some really cool milkshakes, but like I said, um, it's it's a really fun thing to get everyone together and be like, hey, I want this theme. You know, what are we going to do? What you know, what are some thoughts? What do you think of when you think of yellow and blue? What do you think of when you think of lime? You know, that kind of stuff. Our current milkshakes of the month right now are Batman villains. You know, the Riddler, the Joker, and Harley Quinn. One of my milkshake creations is the Harley Quinn, which is milk chocolate and cinnamon hearts. God, it was so adorable because I was able to use cinnamon hearts uh, for Valentine's Day for Harley Quinn and actually make a delightful freaking flavor. Uh, I'm so proud of this one. 
Uh, but anyways, it's delicious. It's wonderful. Uh, and it's kind of funny. My mom was telling me the other day, when I was a kid, it used to always be this, like, annoying alchemist. You know, she'd catch me uh, in the bathroom upstairs just taking chemicals and putting them together and putting them in the sink. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this is fun. You know, I'm just a scientist. What I don't realize I'm doing is creating some type of flammable, terrible chemical. You know, you're really not supposed to mix like pneumonia and cologne <laughs> and, and bleach. You know, you're not supposed to do these things. But I'm like, it's stuff. It's Beekman's world. You know, like, like that's what I'm doing. And I get to take those same desires and, and passions and principles and apply them into the milkshake world. I get to take my my passions and ingenuity and plug them right in, into this milkshake menu that we have. And it's awesome that people will come to the Meeple only because of our milkshakes. They don't care about Dungeons & Dragons. They don't care about Surro. They don't care about anything. They just want a delightful freaking milkshake. Mm -hmm. So with your X-Men ones, could you make ones called the Mystique and not actually not make it, but to serve a random one off the menu? <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I love the idea. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'll remember that. The serve in a blue it. glass will yeah, confuse everybody. That's yeah, all. Yeah. can't even see what it what it yeah. is. Um, no, it's uh, but you're right. That's, that's a good that's a good call. Where like if you if you present something that's you know amazing unto itself, that's going to bring people in, and that it's a good that's a good um, I don't know what you call it, gateway drug to to board gaming. Well, that was one of the cool things oh, yeah. like, going down there. Yeah, I was really excited about. Our milkshakes are drugs. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, y'all want some milkshakes? Any more examples to gateway better? Yeah, I love the themes though. Like, I think that's so cool, especially the month. It reminds me of uh, Bob's Burgers a little bit, just how he always has the different theme burgers, and you come up with different stuff. Because, like, when you said X Men, like, like uh, immediately I was starting to think of like flavors of certain things. Like, it's like, oh, you could do banana and blueberry for like Logan's outfit. You know? it's like, <laughs> Joe, the, don't don't step in. They like, don't oh, start sorry. making your own milkshakes. They, they we don't want to. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> not opposed to someone being like, here's an idea, and me being like. What a great idea. I'm going to use that. We've, we've actually had folks do that. Uh, so the folks from Plat Hat Games came to our grand opening. And while they were there, they designed a milkshake because reasons. They were like, I love this apple pie milkshake, but you know what it needs? A shot of fireball. Um, and that's a thing that they created, and it's now on our menu. Nice. Uh, Alan Gerding from Tuesday Night Games came in, and he was our publisher spotlight. And Alan's a great guy. And he decided he wanted to create a milkshake. His his uh, flagship game is called Two Rooms in a Boom. Uh, and they created the two, two Scoops in a Boom, which is a chocolate peanut butter milkshake with a shot of bourbon in it. Nice. Um, and it's it's delicious. So, <laughs> so, yeah, we're open to people coming in and designing milkshakes. We're all for it. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, but actually, speaking <laughs> of challenges, you guys actually have like like an Iron Man year long challenge with the milkshakes too, right? We we do. Yeah. So we have the milkshake madness challenge. Um, uh, you probably heard other uh, restaurants and cafes and stuff. They do. They might do like a beer challenge where you got to drink X amount of beer throughout the year, and at the very end, you get a jacket. Well, we have a very very similar idea, only with milkshakes and games. So with the milkshake madness challenge. You have to drink the milkshake of the month and the staff pick milkshake. Uh, that's two milkshakes a month. So 12 months, you're looking at 24 milkshakes throughout the year. In addition to drinking the milkshakes, you also have to play the game of the month. Every single month, we have a game of the month. Uh, this month is Almost Got uh, by Cryptozoic. Uh, and so what you have to do is you have to drink the Shake and Ator, which is the milkshake of the month, and the white chocolate milkshake, 
uh, which is the staff pick. And then you'd also have to play Almost Got Him. Once you complete um, all 12 months worth of stuff, you get a really cool um, malted meeple fleece. Carrington actually came to my house today wearing his malted meeple fleece. It says, it says like a challenge winner. What all does it say? It says on the top, it says 2016. In the middle, it says meeple. Below meeple, it has a picture of a meeple drinking a milkshake. And at the very bottom, it says Madness Challenge. Mm-hmm. So $10 to enter. You can complete it in whatever pace you would like. You want to you wanna do all the stuff that you need to do every month? Do it. You want to wait till the very last week and drink 24 milkshakes? You're more than welcome to. <laughs> we actually had guests this past year who did it. One oh, thing worth oh. noting is also entered into uh, a drawing for a two-night stay at Ravenwood Castle. We only had 15 people complete the challenge this year. So, I mean, if you do it. Hmm? Last year? Yeah, this, this past year. That's a pretty uh, good so odds. You've you yeah. got yeah. your chances are pretty good. 24 in one day? Really? Uh, I don't know if I could do that. In one day. Oh. In one week. Oh, that's one what week. Some, that's okay. what people have done. I mean, that's still, that's still rough on your body. Yeah. But you do what you want. <laughs> you know? It's a commitment. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, like, uh, now, uh, it's worth the fleece. At the end of it, you just say, you know, I needed a medium. Now I need a 2XL. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I, but that makes sense. I mean, yeah. that many milkshakes in the, that fast. In a week. Uh, so, uh, I, just one question here to, to to wrap it up: Have there been disputes and arguments that have been settled in the meeple by playing a game? Like, has there been an argument break out and be like, you know what, we're going to settle this by playing this, and that's going to end this conversation? Because I feel like that's something I would do. Absolutely has. Really? Yes. Before your time. Oh, oh absolutely, right. absolutely. <laughs> has. We had we had a group come in and they were just all kinds of serious and dour, and I have no idea why. And I was just like, "What is going on here?" And they mentioned that there was some kind of dispute that was going to be settled by them playing some game. I think it was Risk. Like they were like, "No, I'm I'm going to take Australia, and I'm going to prove to you that you can always win with Australia." And apparently, that was a thing. So they played actually Risk Legacy, and that was that was the thing. They were they were they were super they were super like this is what we're going to do. So yeah, I, w- I was waiting for it to be like, okay, we're going to settle Father's Estate this way. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> not quite as interesting as that, but you know, that's... what a great story would that be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Father's Estate settled at the Meeple through a game of Risk. Yeah. I like it. Oh that sounds like you could advertise that in advance and be like, these people have real problems, but we have a real solution. God, I really want to put that in my will now. Oh my yeah. gosh, like the it's... game that I would choose for that would be um, the pro- uh, the Prodigal Society. It's actually a game where you uh, are in a, you, you get an estate, and the, the uncle gives you like a portion of his estate, and you have to blow all your money, and whoever runs out of money first wins the game. Mm. Oh, it's like that's how it's Brewster's settled. Millions is the board game. I like it. Brewster's Millions. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so... I, again, I do want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk to us uh, about the multi people. Uh, is there anything else? I know we just talked about the the charity event coming up. Is there anything else coming up soon that you guys would like to to advertise that you guys are doing? I mean, there's the events calendar that has all sorts of stuff all the time. But anything in particular? We are also we're also on Meetup, um, which is all of our events on Meetup. You can RSVP to um, and come in. We'd love we'd love to to introduce people to board gaming. We really just want people to come in and you know have some beers, have some milkshakes, and share in the passion of gaming. All right, that, that's that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. what we did. We enjoyed it. So yeah. so thank you, Carrington and, and yeah. Dana, for thank taking you. time talking to us about uh, everything, all things gaming, all things yeah. gaming. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Anytime. And we're back. 
like doing our time thing where we were there earlier, then we jumped to the future or to the past. One of these days, we'll have to talk no. to ourselves like Bill and Ted did when they yeah. crossed paths in the beginning. Yeah. Like, you know, you Ironically enough. You mentioned Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. No, so. I mentioned Bill and Ted. <laughs> so I figured an honor because we just talked about the very manly uh, John Wick Chapter 2. Bobby I wanted Yaga. to do uh, a... Um, a box office box office barometer. Um, it's it's kind of a game, so we'll we'll go ahead and. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so normally, I usually choose the top thirty movies of the year, um, but I started digging around 1994, which is when Speed came out. I figured that was like the, one of the big Keanu Reeves hits of its day. I want to say that's other than The Matrix, that's probably his most famous movie. Until John Wick 2. You know? Until John Wick 2, yeah. Um, or Hardball. Remember Hardball? We yeah. teach the kids how to play. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, I was like, when did Speed come out? And it was 94. Um, I'm not going to tell you where it's out on the list. Uh, it's not number one, and it's not number 50. Okay. Number 25 is Natural Board Killers, which is interesting, because mm. uh, that was that's a... It's an interesting movie. I don't know how well it's so, aged. Uh, is Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone. One, uh, written by Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. Um, so it was number twenty-five, and it made fifty million uh, two hundred eighty-two thousand seven hundred seven hundred sixty-six dollars. So number twenty-five. Hmm. So you're going to tell me if something did better or worse than Natural Born Killers, and then we'll we'll put speed in there because of Keanu. Yeah. Right? We we've done this game before. Yeah. If you guys have listened. So. so um, Beverly Hills Cop 3, better or worse than Natural Born Killers? Oh, oh, that's tough. You know what? I'm going to say, even though I know it was the the least of the Beverly Hills Cops, I'm going to say it did better. It did worse. $42 million. Oh. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Star Trek Generations, better or worse? Worse. Worse. Better. It was uh, oh. Star Trek Generations, which was the one that was the bridge between original series and next generation. Um it has Whoopi Goldberg finding out that she's immortal, and it pretty much. Is, yeah. uh, so that was fifteenth uh, with seventy-five million. So, um, what else we got here? Uh, the Crow, better or worse than Natural Born Killers? Here's the weird thing about The Crow because I know that it got pulled back to theaters multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, within like a two-year, two or three-year span. So I don't know if it's going to include everything. So I'm going to say better. It is. It was number twenty-four. So it's right above Natural Born Killers uh. with uh, fifty million six hundred eighty-three thousand one hundred twenty-nine. Um, City Slickers 2, The Search for, uh, or The Secret of... Uh, Curly's Gold. Yeah. Is it bad? I know that. It, it, for some odd reason, my grandmother loved City Slickers, <laughs> like both of them. I'll never forget. She had the VHS at her house. I'm like, these aren't that funny. Uh, so, But the second one, though, they brought back, uh, oh, what's his name, as his, as his twin brother, right? Uh, Jack Palance. Yes. Yeah. I could not remember names today. This is yeah. terrible. Um, no, so, it, I'm going to say it did worse. Uh, it did do worse. $43 million, uh, The Natural Born Killers. Uh, Pulp Fiction, more better or worse than Natural Born Killers. That's a good year for Tarantino, by the way. Right, I'm gonna say it did better. It did number ten with 107 million, um, which for like for a movie like that, that's that's actually especially a really big haul. No, yeah. I wouldn't say coming out of the gates, but like Reservoir Dogs was his coming out of the gates. But like for his sophomore film to hit that high, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, the Little Rascals film. Uh, it's a kids movie. I say better. Better. Fifty two million, one hundred twenty five thousand. Blah 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 blah. All right. Uh, on Deadly Ground, this is the Steven Seagal movie where he plays the Native American. Yep, I remember that's trying that. to blow up the oil the refinery. Oil, yeah, to save the Earth. Isn't is James Caan the villain in that? I think so. I'm gonna say it did worse. It did do worse, thirty eight million. But he, the whole thing is he wanted to blow up a, like an oil refinery before it blew up. 
Like it doesn't that doesn't make sense. Like it's on its way to being just destroying itself. You want to destroy it first <laughs> to save the environment. I no. yeah. All right. The Schwarzenegger movie Junior, where he's the pregnant man. Better or worse than Natural Born Killers? I'm gonna say it did better. Uh, it did worse. Uh, it came in at 36 million, so it did not do so well. The spiritual sequel to Twins, because wasn't Devito on that too? Yes, he was. All yeah, right. Um, he was. All right. Interview with the Vampire. Better or worse than Natural Born Killers? Better. Better. 105 million. That was a big deal. I remember. That was like, a big yeah. deal. That was a good movie too. It's one of my favorite vampire movies. All right. So The Mask. Uh, that was pretty big. That, I'm going to say better. That is better. 119 million. That was your introduction to Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. Um, is that movie? I haven't watched it in a long time. I hope it holds up. I remember loving it a lot when I was a I'm kid. I'm thinking about it, and I don't think it holds up. <laughs> um, all right. Dumb and Dumber. Uh, oh, better. Yeah, 127 million. So here, Speed. You're talking about like the 90, 90s era of Jim Carrey on like like a high terror of a, of a, of a comedy star. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, well, you're right. Dumb and Dumber in the Mask. In the Mask, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Let's just do that. Ace Ventura All Pet Detective. All three of those movies were out that 94. year. 94. Better or worse than Natural Born Killers? Better. It, yeah, better. 72 million. Um, wow, what a year for him. I didn't even realize that. That's why well, look at through some of the stuff here, like Street Fighter, better or worse? Oh, worse. It is worse. 33 million. The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. That did probably did worse. It did do worse. 32 million. I thought The Shadow was a decent movie. Um, Major League Two. Oh, worse. <laughs> 30 million. Poor, You're right. Poor Indians. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Time Cop. Better or worse than Natural Born Killers? Uh, worse. Worse, yeah. Okay, I was like, you're on the bubble about that. Forty-four million. So, uh, you know, it all it was it was getting there, but not quite. Um, I, time cop was okay. I just didn't ever like the the same matter can't occupy the same place same place twice. Yeah, where you can't touch your your doppelganger in the in the past or the future, into like a, a blob. You, of yeah, something. and I was just like, technically, it's not the same matter because it's aged differently. And, and plus, also, if, if it's existing in the same reality anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Any, but whatever. Yeah, because technically, the way your cells die off and regenerate. Well, no, but you're physically in the same space, so yeah. you're going to be different anyway. Right. You know, but whatever. Um, Forrest Gump. Better. It, okay. Three hundred twenty-nine million. It was wow. number one film that year. Wow. Yeah. Um, that, that I remember that. That yeah. was a big deal. It's a lot of interesting films here. Stargate. Better or worse. I'm gonna say better. Better, you're right. Yeah, uh, 71 million, and then people were like, "Oh, this movie wasn't that great," but they watched it once. You know? I kind of feel like, nah, I wouldn't say of its time. I was gonna compare Stargate to uh, Avatar, just in terms of just like story quality. Yeah, I mean, the first half of Stargate's really cool, and then it just kind of kind of gets weird. You know? I saw I saw I saw a thread or an article the other day about like why do people hate on Avatar so much, and it's like because for as much money as it made, it should have been more. Uh, intriguing and better yeah it wasn't a bad movie no, but it's just but like it doesn't make sense why it made that much money i enjoy avatar a great deal but i yeah i will agree with you that it's just kind of it's just kind of there in terms of like what its story actually is yeah yeah um all right naked gun 33 and a third the smell of fear worse it was worse uh 51 million no, no i'm sorry it was better better than natural born killers 51 million oh wow natural born killers had 50 million um what else do i have in here um Wolf, the Jack Nicholson movie. Oh, worse. Wolf. That, that bombed. I know that bombed. 65 million, so it's better than Natural Born Killers. Uh, it's interesting to see which movies here have, have stuck out over time, you know, and kind of like... In terms know, of like, I know that the movie. People, like, or, or like what state is quality that people like, like, you know, 
Natural Born Killers, I don't know how well it's aged, but like Pulp Fiction's in here, Forrest Gump. Even though there's been like some blowback on Forrest Gump recently, I don't know what it is, but I, I think the movie's still pretty good. Yeah. Um, the Lion King came out that year too. Oh, that, that, that's way yeah. better. Uh, True Lies came out that year as well. Um, that's, you know, that, better. Right. Um, so, so Speed. Uh, better or worse than uh, Natural Born Killers? Oh, better. Uh, yeah, it was your number eight film with 121 million. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I looked through this stuff and I'm just like, oh yeah, 94. Oh, Nell, remember that word uh, with Jodie Foster stuck out in the woods talking yeah. all weird. Yeah. yeah, better or worse? Worse. It was worse. 33 million. So, number one was Forrest Gump. Number 25 was Natural Born Killers, and number 50 is a film that you've probably never seen before, but it is sounds amazing. Is Drop Zone? Has Wesley Snipes the, about parachuting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen it. I know about it though. It's basically someone's like, "Hey, Point Break was pretty popular. Let's just do it with it's parachutes." Exactly. Basically, what they were trying yeah. to do. So anyway, I thought that was. Just, uh, it's always interesting to come back. I'm not saying this is necessarily like the funniest thing or the most member marries, but like, like uh, you just look at all the stuff. You're like, which which of these do you look at now? And be like, well, I like that movie, and it's like, why did we watch that movie? Why is the Flintstones the number one, number five film of the year? The Flintstones movie. Because yeah. it's a kid's movie. Yeah. It's so weird that like terrible kid's movies make a ton of money because people just take their kids to them. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of bad ones out there, but it's like if it's a kid's movie, it's usually going to it's gonna kick the crap out of a lot of other movies. Like, look at right now. Lego Batman's just trouncing everything. Yeah. I mean, I do want to see that, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hopefully going to go see it tonight. But, uh, like, that's the thing. And then, like, the other thing, too, that's interesting about the box office barometer is it's like you get a lot of these cult movies that get generated after the fact that they've been in the theaters and then everybody just loves them like boondock saints i know you hate boondock saints Saints. but like like do you remember like when boondocks i don't remember when it came out in the theater but it didn't oh it didn't no i thought Uh, it came out no Uh, harvey weinstein pretty much like made sure it went straight to video and that's where it actually started gaining notoriety but there's so many so many movies out there that just were like in the theater for a split second and they didn't do very well and then like People start watching them like like Donnie Darko. Well, I'd even say John Wick. The first John Wick. Well, yeah. yeah, John Wick's another one too. Because I remember when John Wick came out, I avoided it based on what we talked about earlier. How you're just kind of like, ah, it just sounds like it's another like washed up, not washed up, but a lot of another like Keanu Reeves action flick that like you know you had your um uh your your action movies that people have tried to make like like that Jack Reacher movie that uh well, Cruz does. You think like like, like Giant Mnemonic. And other stuff where it's like he will attach himself to interesting concepts, but they're not great films. And I can't fault him for finding something interesting and want to do it. But it's like you can't like Constantine, which that's not a bad movie, but it's not great. Yeah. And I, he's not the one to play Constantine. No. Like, and we, but obviously, I know you like the TV version. Right. Um, but, but that movie, Constantine, is still good to go and visit that world. Yeah. I mean, it's an okay film, but it's just like, I feel like you've been led down the Keanu Reeves path enough times where you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. So then when someone's like, you go see John Wick, I'm like, what is it? It's like, it's a guy named John Wick. And he's a hitman that's angry that someone killed his dog and stole his car. I'm like, that sounds like the dumbest idea ever yeah. for a revenge movie that I watched it. I'm like, I'm sorry, John Wick. Like, please don't come and shoot me right because i because i doubted you please don't do like that. i put you know it's funny i like dangerous like i always think about like uh danger levels of like certain characters and things like that where there's some people you feel like you'd be like i could totally deal with their wrath but there's some like john wick's one of them another one is kratos those are <laughs> those are two people like if they ever if it was like if john wick got hired to kill kratos and kratos was like i don't know on revenge streak to get john wick i really don't know who would win no i, I couldn't pick a winner yeah <laughs> 
you're right. Like I just, I, I'd be worried that I like, wouldn't even know if I would want to watch that. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know what would happen to the people around them. Like I feel like I'd be that guy. I'd be walking out with a cup of coffee and I'd trip and spill it on Kratos, and then I might as well just like lay down and die right there because I just know he'd be like, "You did what?" I don't feel like he gets. I don't feel like he goes that crazy and gets slighted about stuff like that. It's got to be something like kind of epic in a sense, but it, it seems to always happen to him. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but you're right. There, you go back and look at some of the stuff. It's some of these movies that you know that they were trying really hard to stay to be that movie that would go on. Like, well, like um, you didn't know if John Wick was just going to be drop zone. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, like somebody that's, you're exactly right. Somebody tells you to exactly be like right. be like, hey, there's this movie out called John Wick. Keanu kind of Keanu Reeves plays a hitman on a revenge streak. Be like, eh, okay, that just sounds kind of like uh, like I don't know, like Kill Bill or something like that. You know. And then you just kind of like brush it off because if somebody dr- mentions drop zone, it'd be like, yeah, I like point break, but this is probably not going to be point break. But then all of a sudden, like, I can't remember what, you know, it's funny. What got me to watch John Wick was um, I was sitting around with uh, my buddies and they were talking about it a little bit. And they told me the whole scene where uh, the mob boss's son takes his car to the chop shop mm-hmm. and John Leguizamo's there and he just slaps the shit out of him. And he's like, get, get out of here. And he's like, do you know what you're doing? And then, the, then, then, like the mob boss calls John Leguizano. He's like, "I heard you struck my son." He's like, "Yes, I did, sir." And you know, you're getting that call from the mob boss, and he's just like, "Well, he see, uh, he stole John Wick's car." And then the mob boss is just like, "Oh," and like, because he just completely understood. And then I love how they use that in the second one, where the guy's telling him the story, and he's yeah. like, "It's just a car," and he's like, "It's John Wick's car," and he's like. Oh, can we just give it back to him? He's like, g- no. He's like, can we just give it back to him? Yeah, and it just it, it tells it tells enough of a tale like about that, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's what got me to watch the first movie, and then it was just kind of like a hell. So of a ride. I feel like this is actually uh, this actually does tie in really well. Aside from the whole speed thing, is that you go back yeah. and look at some of these, you're like, you know what? Yeah, like like the number twenty was a specialist. That was the one with uh, Stallone and um, oh, uh, Banderas where they're dueling. Uh, oh, dueling assassins. Yeah, yeah. And, and you would like, and that premise sounds great too. And it was wasn't that great of a movie but yeah and you don't think back to the specialist fondly you know so you forget about it yeah um so anyway that 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 will do it for the box office barometer that was that was interesting that was fun um yeah so uh please uh go to our, our website it's evasion the podcast.com uh, we will be updating our blog that's that's listed there uh we'll be adding things as we go along we have a facebook page uh it's evasion the podcast we have our twitter it's evading podcast and we have our email that's evading podcast at gmail.com also, we have our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash invasion of the podcast. If you go on there, you could support us in creating content. It could be as low as $1 a month or as much as $1 million a month if you have a million to support us. That would be amazing. Also, I will just come work for you. I don't know. Like, that would be great. Mm-hmm. If, it, if you want me to be a hitman, I probably would do that. You, you, know? gotta, you so, gotta win a bake off first. That's true. Like we, like like last week, uh, but yeah, if you guys want to support us, like either monthly or one time donation, every little bit helps. Uh, you know, cover the cost of putting the show together. The server, and, yeah. yeah, and just like you know, internet uploads, all that stuff. Uh, pie, no, we don't really buy pie for the show, but we yeah. could if we get enough money, we'd have uh, yeah. celebratory pie. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, invasion of the pie. Sorry, patreon.com slash invasion of the podcast. Wait, celebratory or celibacy pie. Either way, I'm just eating the pie by myself. So, um, and then also uh, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Music. Um, and if you could leave us a review, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week again. Thanks to the guys at the Malton Meeple. That is uh, MaltonMeeple.com. Their address again, one more time while I'm thinking about it, is uh, 5100 Darrow Road in Hudson, Ohio. 
Um, and you, they're, they're open every day but Sunday. So if you just please go, go have some milkshakes, go play some board games, have some fun. Yeah. So go host a D&D game there. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Um, uh, yeah. Have a safe week and we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs>